Hungry Trilobite podcast would like to start by acknowledging these fine conventions. SoonerCon. SoonerCon is Central Oklahoma's longest-running pop culture convention. It is held in Norman, Oklahoma, and the next event is scheduled for June 24th through 26th, 2022. You can go to SoonerCon.com to sign up and get early bird pricing on admission. The Hellmouth Convention. The Hellmouth Convention is a celebration of fandoms such as Buffy, Firefly, and Dr. Horrible. It is scheduled for June 3rd through 5th, 2022 in Los Angeles, California. All proceeds raised will benefit various charities. Please go to thehellmouth.org for more information. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today I'm welcoming David Banks to the show, and he and I are going to discuss his efforts to restore the comic book series Micronaut. There will be a point in the show where we talk about looking at his work and discussing his technique, and I want to let you know, we keep in mind that this is an audio podcast, so nothing is going to come up that we won't be able to communicate on the audio podcast. With that in mind, let's get started. On tap today, we have David Banks. How you doing, good sir? I'm good. Good to talk to you. Good talking to you. I saw your Twitter feed not too long ago, started following you. You've got this really cool project, Restoring the Micronauts comic series. Correct. And I got to confess to you, my history with Micronauts is strange. Mm -hmm. I'm a little too young to have caught them in their heyday. But I caught them in one of the re-releases the toy did in the 80s, which wasn't even called Micronauts. So I only found out about it through a lot of Google history search in like <clears throat> my late teens. Right. But you've I, got I, go ahead. I'm much older than you. So I was there from the very beginning. And and I had already been married and had two kids and before the series had started. So I'm older than you on that. Okay. And it seems like even though most people haven't heard of this toy line, it won't go away. People keep doing stuff with it. Yes, it's like Rom, the Space Knight, same thing. Yeah, okay. Is there a reason for that? Is there a history that makes it so unique? I think part of it is because because of licensing issues, it hasn't been collected or reprinted before. I think the the fact that... uh, uh, you know, Marvel made the mistake of crossing over some of their own characters into it prevents, you know, the Marvel side wanting to reprint. And, and I think it's a number of things like that, that it hasn't been worth the effort. And, and I think, and part of the reason I'm doing the project, like, and I'll tell you, I've already done ROM this way, uh, the whole ROM series, all 82 issues, um, is that nobody else has done it. So it's like one of those things where people have nostalgia about it. But I think if you actually read the comics themselves word for word, th- there is uh, some high points and low points. I think the Bill Mantelow did a great job over the whole series, but you can tell he was recycling things as he was going along. And, and you could tell every time he started working with a new art team, he had to, to make adjustments, so. But I'm thinking if you want to do this, if you want to put in the effort, you're not going to do it for something that's not worth it in the long run. Oh, I agree. And 
I got such a great reaction when we did ROM several years ago uh, that, and it wasn't my original idea to do this. Uh, many people suggested the Micronauts because they, they wanted to see it collected properly. They want to see it restored, but not cre recreated. I mean, they don't want it to be recolored. That's the main thing I've heard from many people. Please don't recolor this. Please don't, you know, make it garish. Please don't take away from the artists and what they originally did. Um, and I think they that uh, the people that are really interested in, in the title have, have fond memories because it, it told a very long and winding story. And it was like, to me, before we had all this CGI Star Wars movies and uh, CGI uh, superhero movies and things like that, this is the thing that you could take your imagination and really enjoy stories in space. But in this particular case, stories in the microverse. You know, and, and I love how the Fantastic Four originally introduced this, introduced the microverse uh, as worlds within worlds. So, I mean, you know, whole galaxies and, and atoms, so to speak. And to think about that for a minute, I mean, I'm a fan of comics from all eras. And if you're a comic artist of any kind, I respect your work greatly. But there are definitely certain trends at certain points in time and right now we're at a trend where the comics are very visually detailed. We have computer graphics to aid in that artistry and that's, that's its own thing. It's great. But at the time we're talking about, there's the level of detail is very subdued. The level of color is very bright. There's a certain effect to it that is worth preserving. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and what I found interesting about this series is that everybody involved from the beginning and to the end this was almost their first work in comics. It was like the Micronauts wasn't considered important enough to put their best artist on, but they would try out some hot Turk. And so you've got people like Michael Golden, who's very early in his career, and uh, Kelly Jones and Butch Juice. But then you had you know, the war horses like Gil Kane, but you had Brett, Pat Broderick who, who did some fabulous work on this. Um, and I'm familiar with Pat's artwork because for many years I helped uh, people get their comics bound into hardcover books. And so a lot of comics would come into the business that I had never seen before. And that guy was everywhere. Mm -hmm. Long stints on various titles. But very early in his career, it's almost like comics back then was um, something that you had to be in your 20s or 30s for because that seemed to be most of the players in the group. Now, refresh my memory. Did the comic come before the toy or vice versa? Um, I think in the case of, uh, and I sometimes mix up ROM and, my, and uh, the Micronauts, but I think it almost came out at the same time. It was coordinated. Marvel was approached to do uh, a comic in order to support the, the toy line. And that's something that J.K. Woodward and I talked about in the episode we did together, that comics for licensed properties where they're specifically trying to embrace uh, somebody else's IP always tend to get the short shift when it comes to artistry and talent. Not necessarily that they don't put the good people on there, but they don't put, that's not the people's first choice usually. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, so it's interesting when I see people like Gil Kane on there, who I 
have considered a superior artist for years and years. I mean, he had a career starting in the 40s. And to have him on there cranking out issues when he's already done long runs on Green Lantern for DC and things like that. Uh, I, uh, I, I, in studying each of these pages as you work on them and, and uh, clean things up or restore things, it's very interesting what you discover. And there's little Easter eggs I'll be pointing out uh, as things get closer to publication. Uh, little messages that various artists would put into the work. Like for example, uh, Aiken and Garvey, I think you know you might know them as inkers. Mm -hmm. It was an inking team for quite a while. Well, they pitched hit on one issue, but, but it was interesting how they would uh, letter their names into certain signs and stuff throughout that issue while they were helping out. So, well, well, let's talk about publication. What does publication look like for you? What's the end goal here? Well, um, I can see it happening several ways based on previous experience with this, some of these projects. Um, some of them eventually get picked up as official projects uh, for either a, a mass production or a limited run. Um, I think the end result for this could be several things for me. Uh, first of all, it's uh, whatever it is, it's a not-for-profit thing. The, I'm bootstrapping it, but you know, we're not going to uh, get into trouble with Hasbro or Marvel. Uh, in the past, if it hasn't been picked up, say like... Uh, I did something similar for Usagi Ujimbo. If it doesn't get picked up, you know, I make one or two copies. Uh, Stan Sakai got one of them. I got one of them. And that's it. Uh, but in this particular case, beyond that, if it doesn't get picked up officially, um, and I make my one set, four-volume set with a slipcase, um, I've been taking very careful notes uh, and keeping specific images because I think I would like to be able to share with people how a comic gets re restored and all the different tricks of the trades that they could pick out. And then I'm also creating a series of little videos, one, two minute videos that say, okay, today's lesson is, here's how, here's three different ways you can restore a word balloon. Uh, if you, <clears throat> and I have uh, the ability to share my screen, I think with you, I have some examples I can show you stuff. Please feel free. And I now, if anything comes up that might be lost in the translation, I'll, I'll mention it for the audio listeners. Right. So uh, uh, the end result is, is I would like it to be picked up as something like IDW would do. They would have a special arrangement. Um, uh, Chris Rael, I've talked to via email a couple of times about this and other projects, the Marvel Calendars project, the ROM project. Um, you know, is interested in something like this being properly done. But we'll see. Like I say, I don't have any pressure on me for deadlines or finances or whatever, but I, what I will end up with will be pretty close to perfect. And, and I've been showing off, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, but I have been showing off on Twitter as, as I do things, I throw some images up there for people to see. This is definitely not just a vapor project. It's definitely something that's in the works. And I can't believe I've been doing it for two years already. Wow. Oh, with comics being as big as they are right now and us getting all the Justice League and Avengers stuff we can handle, mm -hmm. I think the stuff that's actually drawn my attention and grabbed me has been the little weird nooks and crannies of comic history 
So this is the kind of thing that appeals to me a lot. Well, and I think uh, if you wanted to see another example of this, uh, there's a book called Atlas at War, and it reprints uh, Atlas war stories from most of the 50s and a little bit in the 60s. And it was all these stories were carefully re, uh, restored and then printed. And it came out as a volume from an off uh, from a publisher I never heard of called Dead Reckoning under special licensing from Marvel. And the person who did the restoration, a guy named Alan Harvey, really influenced my approach to uh, how you attack each of the pages. So, I mean, it, it, it's, that's where I get the, the quote that says, restore it, not uh, recreate it. Because a lot of times people would just trace over it and, or, or do quickie things to get it out the door um, and it wouldn't stay true to the original pro product or comic or story or whatever. So when you're looking at doing this, what is your process, or at least the shortened version of it? Are you going straight to digital? Do you do a lot of hand correction first? Um, I do a raw scan, and I can show you on the screen. This is a raw scan. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, the only thing that's been done to it is I've cut out uh, some of the... I've cut out the words and, you know, from the uh, original copyright notice and some things like that. You cut Just out the bottom so. credits. Yeah. Right. So um, I start with that page and I, I, uh, I clean up around this a little bit, uh, delete things and whatever. And then I start making things better. So you say, well, what do you mean better? If you look at a lot of these lines, you see how the lines are broken up? Mm -hmm. I can see little empty spaces in between the black. Right. It's, uh, you know, you wonder how things are printed, how if this is a black line, why was the color printed on top of the black line? So I come in and I reinforce all the lines. Did you see the change? Yeah. Suddenly the, I, what was kind of a, a patchy black becomes a solid black. Right. So I go back You see. All right, so then um, I back out. Uh, and next step is I'll start adding some colors. Sometimes I use a color as a, what I call a mask. But uh, so you see how the, in the mean, in the uh, words in the country of the blind, how that filled in. And then I've moved the text to a different layer. So that comes in after that and then i do some additional fix-ups by max masking you see the background behind um, the two characters at the bottom changed i did see that yeah yeah so you you i get rid of the bleed through yeah so you can't see the uh the basically the, the what's on the opposite side of the page isn't visible when you're reading right and so i get to this point um and then I do the final step, which is a color correction. And I end up with the result on the right when I started from the beginning on the left. Mm -hmm. Now, not to pick this apart too much, I'm noticing the original that scan, you can see an obvious yellowing on the page. And on the corrected, it's a pure, pure snow white. Right. And that does have an effect on the rest of the colors on the page. Right. 
exactly. So there's one step that I haven't uh, been satisfied with yet is that, and um, this was suggested by Phil Hester, you've got to put a little cream back into the image, you know, to result. And then mm -hmm. Jim Benson from Omaha Bound recommended that I have some sort of paper texture. So everything is built in layers and I'll be able to add that stuff um, behind because you're right, this is too garish at the moment. But uh, until I run some print tests um, and I come up with something that satisfies me with the texture on the back, um, I'm not there yet. That's what I mean when I have another year to go. Sure. Because I've gotten, uh, I've already been through all 2,000 pages as far as uh, organizing them, scanning them, doing the initial crops, uh, doing the initial reinforcement of lines and things like that. Uh, tidying up things uh, and then I go back and do a whole other step of, of um, making sure all the text is correct uh, making sure the color balance is okay but the last step is I've got to get that cream added back in and there's lots of ways to do that so for example you see I have uh, it's tan I call it tan all around this mm -hmm. And, it's a very yellowed page. Right. But this page has been worked on quite a bit. But one of the things that you would do to experiment with the get so it's not so garish is to, and I'm just doing a quick demo here. Um, you know, I would. Obviously, if you were actually working on this in your own time, you'd be moving a lot slower and more methodically doing little experiments. That's correct. That's correct. Now you see how the it's not as garish because I selected a lower value as opposed to making this pure white. Um, it's a now very it's, it's, it's a slight cream. It's not tan. Yes, but it's definitely not pure as the driven snow. Yes. So you, you understand the process. Yeah. So I deal with a lot of people who are really into color theory and restoration. And okay. I guess one of the few things they'd be saying is one of the many things I should be saying is how do you pick your color palette? What, what do you have for a reference as to what these would have looked like on the new shelves, the store shelves 50 years ago, whatever the case might've been. Well, that's a good point. Some of the issues that I originally scanned from were in pretty pristine condition. And so I've been building, um, I call it a color palette, but it's just one file that has all these little squares on it. And then when I work in Photoshop, I'm able to sample that square and, and make sure it stays the original color. So, uh, but there's no way I can go back 50 years. I can only work from the best issue possible that I have. And I still have all the raw scans because I do make mistakes or I, the end result isn't satisfactory and I have the ability to go back to the source material and try again. Now, the other thing I do differently than I've done on other projects this time is I scanned all these at a much higher resolution. In previous years, I've scheduled scan things at 300 DPI. Well, this I did at 600 DPI. This is something I learned from Tim Benson and Omaha Bound, which means that you're working twice up from the original. You make all your corrections, and then when you bring it back down to 300 DPI, 
it looks even better than it did when you, you were happy with it at 600 dpi. It becomes much more forgiving. Um, and so I haven't reduced, in the examples I've showed you, I haven't reduced any of those down to uh, uh, 300 dpi yet. Do you know what I mean by DPI? I do, yes, yes. Okay, dots per inch. Yeah. yeah, I was actually thinking while you're talking about this, that you're doing a lot of work as a labor of love. And this is work that is sitting in, in the archives of, I'm guessing, Marvel. They still have the technical rights to it. Right. But have, uh, they probably don't have the film anymore. Sure. The original film. or And it was pre-digital. Yeah. But even if they're not looking to do a project with Micronauts right now, there's got to be somebody at Marvel who's really thankful that somebody is doing this so they don't have to. You're saving them effort. Have you gotten any feedback, at least to that extent? Well, I have, uh, you know, in my bookbinding days, I did have contacts with people from both Marvel and DC, uh, helping them bind their own comics together uh, as reference material. And I've been told that uh, myself, as well as Tim Benson, we've done great work over the years. We've done... Um, uh, if you were to visit my website, singleboundstudios.com, it, it shows the last four projects I did before I retired. Um, I don't know if you're able to pull that up or if I should share my screen and show you. I can go ahead and pull it up here. I will put it in the show notes on my website, aaronbostig.com, because that's anything we talk about is going to go on there just so people have an easy rex reference to it. Okay. Singlebound Studios, you say? Yeah, singleboundstudios.com. Yeah. And if you scroll down, you see that there's uh, we we one of the projects we did that has gone nowhere yet is we did the sixth volume of Akira, uh, mimicking everything that Graffiti Designs had done back in the early '90s. There were supposed to be six volumes. Graffiti only published five. We went ahead and did all the work and made a, a sixth volume. Um, okay. So you worked on fringe and the last galactic story aztec ace uh, i did all the restoration for aztec ace and that's finally after five years coming out in august of this year from dark horse press so it's actually things published i've had fringe the wretch aztec ace um, I've had a lot of things not published, uh, Saber, Yusagi Ujimbo, Galactus mm -hmm. Story, ROM, we made some, I'm guilty, we made some bootleg sets of ROM, I think there's like four sets out in the real world, um, I'm, there's pages that make me cringe, which is making me work harder on Micronauts, because they weren't quite up to speed. Sure. But for every page that makes you cringe, there's probably 20 that are a blessing to have out in the world. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good balance. Yeah, I agree. And uh, uh, the beauty about comics, this isn't about, this isn't about money. This is about preserving something historical. And there's, and the beauty of comics to me is that there's so many different niches. You don't have to always be popular. You can just, if you've got, I swear I only have 15 people that actually look at my Twitter feed on a regular basis. Cause that's usually the number of likes I get on any tweet I do. <laughs> <laughs> so I assume that's all I have is 15 people looking 
but those 15 people are happy. So, well, yeah. And that's, that's how I met you is that I saw we were doing, a, <coughs> I saw you were doing a restoration on Micronauts and I thought, man, that's, I don't know that many people who could even talk about Micronauts or even know what it is. And yet if somebody's restoring it, that gives me a chance to go back and do that deep dive I've wanted to do for so long. Yes. Well, Micronauts was a very popular title to bind in the custom volumes. And over the years, I think we did five or six different sets and we had to come up with different wraparound art for them each time. And sometimes they would have the crossovers in them and sometimes they wouldn't. Every That's the beauty of custom binding. You can do it the way you want it, mm -hmm. include whatever you want. And uh, I mean, I already have various covers worked out for this being from the days of working on custom binding. And they, I guess that they re-released them in the eighties with a different color scheme. And that became how I came into it. And then oh, really? apparently you, you saw the first 12 issues reprinted in the, the Microsoft's uh, special edition. Not the uh, the comics, the actual Microsoft's action, uh, Micronauts action figures. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the apparently the originals had a, a very uh, uh, a more subdued color scheme, and the ones from the '80s were like solid red, solid stark whites. But apparently, the plastic was a different grade, which was not very popular with co collectors. Mm -hmm. And then there was this move in like the mid 2000s. They gave it to Michael Bay to do something with, and I guess he made a couple notes, but didn't really take the project anywhere else. Mm -hmm. He decided Transformers was a better way to go, and I guess I can't argue with that. He's done pretty good for himself. I think a couple people have heard of him since then. <laughs> but yeah, it's always been this property that people know enough to want to do something with, but it never gets off the ground. Yes. Um, and so since it hasn't been reprinted or whatever, every time I do a, a print test experiment, then I like to give it away. So for example, you might've seen, I gave away a, um, a cover booklets experiment it's just mm -hmm. a booklet of all the covers of the micronauts from both volumes um and then i had so many people wanting to buy it that i put a link up and we had 15 people buy a copy and that's where i got 15 from because that seems <laughs> to be the exact number of people <laughs> it's that's where it starts yes. um, hopefully we can get your, your name out there a little bit i would like to see you at a convention talking about this sort of thing oh i would like to do it too yeah yeah. We, we get so many great artists out there, up and coming artists. We get people making their own comics and I love pushing that, but we don't talk enough about the history of maintaining what we already have. Yes. And, and that's why it was so much fun to work on Phil Hester's The Wretch because, you know, Phil's famous for other things, but his own particular character that he's written it's, as short stories over a 25, 30 year period. It was fantastic to gather those all into one location and then have a brand new story added to it. And just to see the evolution of how he drew during that 25 years was fantastic too. Mm -hmm. And the same way with Paul Tobin's Fringe, to have those issues re, uh, regathered plus some extra bonus material that had been published elsewhere. Uh, I, for one, if it wasn't for Tim Benson, never would have heard of The Wretch never would have heard of uh, Fringe, never would have thought of, let's take the Galactus story instead of making it a regular size thing, let's make it giant size, you know? When when you open it up, it's 28, 28 inch spreads. It's 
you know, that's that's the value of collaborating. Sometimes people come up with great ideas, and Tim has always been a great idea guy. Uh, yeah, for sure. I so those are all the neat, neat ideas, and I, we have like situations now where you know this is it's owned by Marvel, which is now owned by Disney, and right. that's that's a whole new factor now. And looking back at their past properties, seeing what what's it going to take to get these things out of the vault? Because when you're talking Disney, the vault has a whole new meaning now. Yes, and they they know how to maximize the vault. Mm-hmm. But um, but that's okay. You know, I don't have you know I don't have any uh, no. I don't have an agenda. I just want to do this. It's probably going to be my last big project. And then I'll just, uh, you know, pay attention to my grandkids and things like that. So, Do they like comics? What? Do they like comics? Yes. Uh, in fact, it's one of my privileges to take them to the comic book store. Oh, like if we have to run errands, I say, you know, could we, could Marcel and I stop by the comic book store on the way home? And, you know, I get permission from the parents and, I haven't done a great job as, as far as turning them into readers as much because they also like Pokemon. So when we go to Krypton Comics, we've got to get Pokemon cards as well as comics. But. Yeah, I I get that. I didn't hit the Pokemon mindset. That, that was just something that slipped by me. Mm-hmm. I, I was right in that age where I was in high school when it got big and I, I didn't click then and it never did. But I get the appeal. But I go to a comic book store. I want comic books. Yes, I love the the I love the fact that they print the new as well as the old. Mm-hmm. I love the True Believers reprints that Marvel does. I will pick those up and give them out as gifts because they'll have key issues that you can buy at you know today's cover price, like you know uh, Daredevil one eighty one with Daredevil mm-hmm. and Electra. Um, and that's that's something I like because. We've gotten so used to the idea of comics <coughs> being valuable, comics being investments, and obviously we take care of our collections. We're, we're very mindful of that. Right. But there should be something you can use and know that it's it might get worn out, it might get torn, something that exists to just be a, a, an interim piece. Yes, yes. Now, I've been going through a downsizing the last couple of years. You know, eventually the wife and I are going to have to go to a smaller place. And uh, so I've been, uh, I'm one of my guilty pleasures is going to the coffee place, the drive through. I go to Scooters. That's what it's called here, mm-hmm. not Starbucks, but the competition. And uh, we talk about comics while I'm getting my coffee. And they're like very interested. So I've been dropping off care packages to the various baristas. And they're really getting into comics now. And I've sent new customers to, Dun- to Dragon's Lair as well as over to Krypton Comics uh, based on what I've dropped off to them as I downsize. Because everybody has the same comics. So somebody might as well get to read them as opposed to everybody has a box of New Mutants or X-Men or whatever. Uh, but I, I think comics should be read. And I've, I agree. Having, and I've been having my comics bound in hard, hardcover books since 1979. So, wow. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So when we look at that, when you say comics should be read, because again, I completely agree. The whole point of it is you, you don't get into comics. 
you don't really appreciate them until you get sucked into the story. And that comes from reading. It comes from going to the back issue bins and and filtering through it and saying, oh, I missed this. I got to find out about it's it's a hobby of exploration. Yes. And and the beauty of the restoration project, too, is it's forced me to look at every panel carefully. There's a lot of stuff I missed in original readings. It's like, oh, that changes the story. That's what happened there. You know, and I, I realized for a lot of comics, I wasn't actually reading the comics. I was just going along with the images and skimming the words. But if you take the time to read every single word, sometimes you'll find out it's an entirely different story, especially with writers who like to put a lot of text on the page. Indeed. Well, I want to make sure that I ask you this one last question before I go, because this is for somebody that truly appreciates the little nuances of it and, and the storytelling. If there's somebody out there now who's getting into comics and they're really considering themselves an expert on what's out there now, but maybe they want to know more about the history. Mm-hmm. What would you tell them to read? Who would you tell them to read? Well, I'm biased. Uh, I'm a. That's okay. I'm a big Jack Kirby fan, and you can find very inexpensive reprints for his whole career. And so, you know, the epic collections from Marvel, the showcase collections from uh, DC. Uh, over the years, people have, you know, even small companies like what Greg Theakson used to do when he would reproduce old Simon and Kirby stuff. Um, I would, I would say that uh, there's a lot of cheap collections out there for you to get immersed into it, and you don't have to worry about preserving it. And mm-hmm. I'm one of these people that's guilty of having like four different versions of the last Galactus story, or you know, di- different ways it was put, or the original Galactus story back in, I had the original Fantastic Four comics, you know, I had it when they made it a trade paperback, I had it when they put out a special hardcover edition, you know, so whatever your poison is, but there's a lot of ways to get into it very cheaply um, and enjoy it, and I would say Fantastic Four, anything by Kirby, um, that's, that's by that covers a lot of different titles, but yes, it does. You know, but if I was going to go more modern, I've been impressed by people like Jonathan Hickman. Uh, I liked his, I like his independent work just as much as I like what he's done for Marvel. Um, uh, Black's is it Black Monday Murders, which uh, was you know like six or seven issues, and then it was. Uh, a series called Secret, which was six or seven issues, and these are all available and inexpensive. Um, I, I like, uh, it doesn't have to be a thousand issues. I, I don't mind if a series is only six issues or seven issues ever. You know, I like the Aztec Ace. That was a personal favorite of mine. Cool. One of my favorite time travel stories uh, told entirely different. People said, oh, it's a Doctor Who ripoff. Oh, I don't think so at all. It, it had nothing in common in my my opinion. Um, Are you familiar with Pete Dore? Yes, I see him on Twitter quite a bit. Okay, I was just hoping so, because if you're into uh, Jack Kirby and that era, which obviously you are, I've read several of his comics. I should get into ordering more. Uh, but yeah, he's been on the show a couple times. Really great guy. Love his work. Yeah, yes. And, and there's, I, we could probably talk for hours about the different people, but 
you should have Phil Hester on. Okay. Uh, I, ha I had the privilege of delivering some books to Phil Hester's house in Iowa. I was available. That's the advantage of not working. I could drive mm -hmm. over there and drop them off. He let me stay at his house for about an hour and look through his original art collection. Oh my God, to see wow. the original art. And it wasn't just the typical original art. It was, it was like pencil roughs of different famous people, you know, uh, that, you know, they would do warm up sketches before they actually started working on the comic page and things like that. But the beauty of it was to get to look at the back to see the different sketches that were on the back of the page that was submitted for the story. He could tell I, you a lot. I will reach out to him for sure, because that's a great recommendation. Thank you for that. Okay. Uh, it's been great talking to you. I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm going to put the link to your website on my website, aaronbosick.com. I'm also going to put a link to your Twitter feed. Where else can people follow your adventures? Those are the best. Okay. Because I've been downsizing. I used to have six different websites and I've been downsizing those two. So those two main ones would be right. Okay. Okay. Well, the David, thank you. And, and the uh, website. So. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate having you. All right. Thank you now. Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye. I would like to thank David for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. This was a great discussion on comic art and the history behind it and the artists behind it, and I'm wondering what other podcasts have covered that. So I'm going to open up the Good Pods app and do a search on comic art. And one of the best results I see here is a podcast called The Felix Comic Podcast. It is current. There are over 50 episodes, and this is a top-rated podcast on comic art. I'm going to look into that and see what I can find. Don't forget you could subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.